Life is easy when you're up on the mountain and you've got peace of mind like you've never known. But then things change and you're down in the valley. Don't lose faith, child. You are never alone. For the God on the mountain is still God in the valley. When things go wrong, He'll make them right. And the God of the good times is still God of the bad times. The God of the day is still God in the night. We talk of faith when we're up on the mountain, but the talk comes easy. When life's at its best, it's down in the valley of trials and temptations. That's when faith is really put to the test. For the God on the mountain is still God in the when things go wrong, he'll make them right. And the God of the good times is still God of the bad times. The God of the day is still God in the night. The God of the day still God in the night. I hear the doubters say we don't see many miracles these days. And I see so many broken ones just waiting for their answers to come. To those who've grown weary, I've got good news. So hold on, be strong. Keep trusting it's true. The healer hasn't lost his touch. He's still the almighty, the unchanging God. The power is still showing up. I don't know when, I don't know how, but I know this much the healer 
hasn't lost his touch. I've been a desperate soul, a voice crying out to be made whole. And I felt the empty ache So helpless in that lonely place But I found him faithful And I've seen him move This is my story And I'm living proof The healer and lost his touch. He's still the Almighty, the unchanging God. The power is still showing up. I don't know when, I don't know how, but I know this much. The healer hasn't lost his touch. He still redeems, He still renews, and I still believe the healer hasn't lost His touch. He's still the Almighty, the unchanging God, the power is still showing up. I don't know when, I don't know how, but I know this much. The healer hasn't lost the healer. No, he hasn't lost his tongue. Oh, Second Corinthians chapter 2. 2nd Corinthians chapter 2. It's good to be in the Lord's house this morning. Thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for your dedication. I uh, wasn't really sure how many would show up today. And uh, I, I love you, but I didn't really care. Uh, because I knew there would be some here. And I knew we were going to worship regardless. The one thing that I find in this country when I came back Friday that I saw that was much more dangerous than this virus is the fear among the people. And this fear sometimes can be worse than any disease virus can ever bring us. While we need to be smart, we need to trust in our God and we need to have faith in him. And we need to believe in him that he can and that he will. And I know that he can, and I know that he will. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, one verse, the same verse we were in last week in verse 11. Lest Satan should get an advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. You may be seated. I want to continue the thought, the existence 
of Satan. Last week we talked about the origin of Satan and the rebellion of Satan. We talked about where he came from. We talked about why he's not there anymore. We talked about why and how he rebelled uh, against the sovereignty of God. I want to continue that thought this morning in the existence of Satan and I want us to go a little further into the devices of Satan. The Apostle Paul said, for we are not ignorant of his devices. I believe it is imperative for us to know the devices of our enemy. I believe it is imperative for us to know what our enemy is capable of. I want to uh, go through this morning the character of Satan. Not only the character of Satan, but the works of Satan. I believe if we're going to learn his devices, we must learn the character of our enemy. And may I tell you today that the Bible mentions him over and over and over again. In fact, he's mentioned seven times in the Old Testament, 19, uh, excuse me, seven books of the Old Testament, 19 books of the New Testament. Jesus spoke to the devil. He rebuked the devil. He cast out devils. He taught about the devil. And bless God, he defeated the devil. All throughout Scripture, we have stories and lessons about the devil so that we may learn about the character of our enemy. Understand that we have an adversary. We have one that is there to seek us out, to devour us. May I tell you today that it is not the preacher. It is not the deacons. It's not even your spouse. Amen. It is the devil. He is our enemy. And we must look this morning into the character of Satan. Number one, Satan is a liar. Satan is a liar when it comes to everything about his character. The character of God is truth. But the character of Satan, he's a liar. Even Jesus said, for he is a liar and the father of it. Understand that his promises are lies. His threats are lies. His temptations are lies. Understand that he presents a false doctrine. He presents a false salvation. He presents a false security. And he provides a false hope. Everything about Satan is a lie. If the Bible says that the truth of God is here to set us free, then the opposite of that is that the lies of Satan entangles us and puts us in bondage. If this word and the truth of God can set us free, then the lies of Satan can put us into bondage. May I tell you today that our families are in bondage because they believe the lies of the devil. They believe of a better way and a better doctrine and a better sermon. May I tell you there's no better message than the truth of God's word. Everything outside of this is a lie. It is from the devil because he is the father of it or the originator of it. He is the author of all heresy. Not only is Satan a liar, but Satan is a deceiver. The Bible said, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. And that word in the Greek, wiles, comes from the English word method. It refers to the craftiness or the trickery translated to lie in wait. 
It simply means that we must put on the whole armor of God because there's an enemy out there that is waiting for us to destroy us. You see, he is here to deceive us. He doesn't just one day pounce on us, but he is doing everything that he can to get us down that road so that he can devour us. And the only way that he can do that is he baits us. He lures us, just like we do animals. When we go hunting, just like we do fishing to try to catch fish, the devil is doing the very same thing by deceiving us. What do you mean, preacher, deceiving us? Deceiving us about salvation. Deceiving us about the truth. May I tell you, there's a whole lot of people that believe they're saved because the devil is a good deceiver. There's a lot of people that will go to hell according to the scripture that thought they were saved because the devil is a great deceiver. But not only is he a deceiver, but he is a tempter. I want you to look in 1 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 5. 1 Corinthians 7 verse 5. Defraud ye not one the other, except it be with consent for a time, that you may give yourselves to fasting and prayer, and come together again, that Satan tempt you not, for you're in contentency. So notice what the Bible says here, that Satan tempts you for your, that's a big word there, and I worked on it a long time. But it simply means the lack or area of self-control. Where we lack the self-control. Understand the devil is a tempter. And temptation means to test or put on trial. Understand if you stand before this church and you declare that your faith is in Jesus Christ, the devil will tempt that faith that you profess to have. Do you believe that you're going to stand before us and proclaim that God is God of all without the devil testing you and trying you that God is God of your life? May I tell you, if you love Jesus, that love for him will be put to the test. If you're going to stand for Jesus, that stand will be put to the test. He desires to tempt our faith on a daily basis. Our faith and our trust and our hope in Jesus is on trial every single day. The devil would love nothing more than to pull us away from our faith and trust in the Lord. So what does he do? He puts us on trial. He tempts us. He tempts our abilities to have faith in God. He tempts our ability to live a holy life and a righteous life. I love God, and I'm going to live for Him, and I'm going to do everything in my power and His power to live according to thus saith the Lord. Will you get ready? Because the devil's going to trial you. He's going to put you on trial, and he's going to test you okay. You say you love God, and you're going to live holy, and you're going to live righteous, so I'm going to throw all the sin that I can at you, and let's see how holy and righteous you are now. He puts us to the test on a daily basis. How about our righteousness? How about our ability to be sanctified, separated from the world? Every day the devil is there tempting our areas. Uh, what area? The area that we lack self-control. All week long, I did not 
interact in a nation that was scared to death of corona. I interacted in a nation that drunk coronas all week long. <laughs> I'm just being honest with you. Everywhere I went, they were drinking alcohol. That has no temptation on me. You can put all the liquor, everything you want to put in front of me, you put it there, it does not tempt me. But there are other areas in my life where I lack self-control. And the devil knows those areas, and the devil will tempt those areas. And he will put me on trial. And when I say that I want to live for God, and Jesus is good, and he's great, he'll say, well, I'll take that part that hurts you the most, and that part that you deal with the most, and I will put you to the test. And ain't one of us in this building above or below being put to the test. You have not been saved long enough to be exempt from the test. You are not holy enough to be exempt from the test that the devil will put you through. You can't pray enough. You can't read your Bible enough to be exempted from the test. The test is coming. The tempter is here. He will put us on trial. But not only is he a tempter, but he is treacherous. 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2, are you with me? Amen. 2 Timothy chapter 2. Verse 26. And that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil who are taken captive by him at his will. I thought long and hard about that scripture there, that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil. May I tell you that the devil is so hard and so tough that when you leave his snare, there is a recovery time. Because the snare of the devil, the snare of Satan, the trap of Satan is so tough on our hearts and our lives, it takes time to get over it. Because it's literally treachery that he puts us in a snare and he takes our family and I'm telling you he works on us. He works on us to the point and place that our kids have lost their minds. They will not mind. One woman told me one time, she said, Preacher, my, I believe my kid has a demon in him. I thought she was crazy till I had kids of my own. But he will put your kids through the grinder. He will put your marriage through the grinder. May I tell you that he will suppress your faith. He will suppress your hope. He will take away your smile. He will take away your ability to live for Jesus, your desire to live for Jesus, and your desire to even live on this earth. May I tell you that his trickery has put us in a position, in a, a place in America that our kids are turning to drugs and alcohol rather than to him. That our kids are getting pregnant at such an early age. And the disease and the sickness is worse than it's ever been. And you look in America and you look at the problems and you look at the broken homes and everything is because we are in the grinder of Satan. And he is putting pressure upon the home and the church and the believer. Right. 
And I'm telling you, he is having a heyday right now. From all the way from pornography to alcohol to drugs and all the things that we go through and the temptations that we have. May I tell you, the devil's winning right now. The devil's having a heyday right now. Can you imagine him running, roaming around this earth? Oh, praise God of all the churches that are shut down today. All the believers that would not even go and worship my name. I'm not talking about a person. I'm not ridiculing anybody. But nobody but the devil is happy today about the fear that our country is going through. Viruses are bad. Sicknesses are bad. Cancers are bad. But folks, the devil has a hold of us. And we're scared to death and we're terrified. And we don't know what to do. Folks, look unto the hills. <laughs> from whence cometh our help. Our help cometh from above. Your home's under pressure. Look, look up. Your life's under pressure. Look up. He's got you. Look up. He's a liar. He's a deceiver. He's a tempter and he's treacherous. The three L's of the devil. You've heard this before. He's a liar. He's limited. And he's a loser. Okay, y'all didn't hear that. He's a liar. He's limited. And he's a stinking loser. Because at the end of the day, he knows his fate. He knows his fate. Revelation chapter 13. I want us to look at the works of Satan. Are y'all with me this morning? Revelation chapter 13. The context of this scripture is during the seven-year tribulation period. I want you to understand the works of Satan. And in this scripture, it reveals to us his works. That number one, Satan is the imitator of God. Every work that Satan has is not original. But it is an imitation of God's work and God's plan. Satan desired to be better than God, but there's not a better plan than of God's. Satan desired to be bigger than God, but there's not a better plan, there's not a better purpose, there's not a better engineering of the gospel than what we have that God has made for us. So if he can't get any better, and he cannot even get to it, then he must imitate it. So that he can get as close as he can. Notice verse 1. And I stood upon the sand of the sea and I saw a beast rise up out of the sea having seven heads and ten horns. And upon his horns ten crowns. Upon his head the name of blasphemy. And the beast which I saw was likened to a leopard. And his feet were the feet of a bear. And his mouth is the mouth of a lion. And the dragon gave him his power and his seat and great authority. I saw one of his heads as it were wounded to death. And his deadly wound was healed. And all the world wondered after the beast. And they worshipped the dragon which gave power unto the beast. And they worshipped the beast saying, Who is like unto the beast? Who is able to make war with him? I want you to go down to verse 11. 
And I beheld another beast coming up of the earth. And he had two horns like a lamb, and he spake as a dragon. He exerciseth all the power of the first beast before him, and causeth the earth and them which dwell therein to worship the first beast, whose deadly wound was healed. And he goeth great wonders, so that he maketh the fire come down from heaven on the earth in the sight of men, and deceiveth them that dwell on the earth by the means of those miracles which he had power to do in the sight of the beast. Boy, isn't this sounding familiar? Saying to them that dwell on the earth that they should make an image to the beast which had the wound by a sword and did live. And he had power to give unto the image of the beast that the image of the beast should both speak and cause that as many as would not worship the image of the beast should be killed. And he causeth all, both small, great, rich, poor, free, bond, to receive a mark in their right hand and in their forehead, that no man may buy or sell, save that he had the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. Here is wisdom. Let him that hath understanding count the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man, and the number is six hundred three score and six. Satan is the imitator of God. Here we see a section and a portion in the view of the seven-year tribulation. We see the devil in three persons. We see the devil acting in three persons. Where did he get that from? Hmm. He got it from God. Satan is the dragon in this scripture. He is the picture of the Father. He is the one that believes that he is above all. He is presented as the one that is above all. And then all of a sudden we have uh, the, the beast. And this is the Antichrist. And the Antichrist will come and... Here is the dragon, and here is the beast. Here is the Antichrist, and the Antichrist is a picture of the sun. All power given to the beast came from the dragon. And everything about the beast was pointing to the dragon. Yes, people were worshiping the beast. The Bible said that they even wondered at the beast. That he was put on a pedestal in a place that the world marveled and were amazed and admired the Antichrist. This is a picture of God the Father and God the Son. And then you go down in verse 11 and we find the false prophet. We find the false prophet. So here's three persons, just like he's trying to be the three persons of God. You have God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. We see the devil as the dragon, his son as the false prophet, and his holy, or excuse me, his son as the beast or the antichrist, and then the Holy Spirit as the false prophet. The false prophet comes and he is generating worship to the beast, to the antichrist. And so what's going on here is the false prophet is generating attention. It is generating worship to the Son. And the Son is there giving attention to the Father. And so when we get into the days of tribulation, and let's just all pray for a pre-tribulation, pre-millennial reign. Let's pray that the rapture takes place at the beginning of, the, of, of tribulation. Amen? If you don't agree with me, pray that I'm right. Amen? All right. Satan is unveiled during this time. And all of his three persons are unveiled at this time. And all of his fury and all that he can do is unleashed upon planet earth. 
And all that he is and all of his plans are being unraveled now. And now the world gets to see who the devil really is. And there is a level of power that he receives during this time. And he is running rampant for seven years upon the face of the earth. He is having his heyday. The, pot, the world is seeing him at his fullest, at his greatest. The Bible said in verse 18 that every person that would give in to this beast, to this dragon, to this false prophet, they had to take a number. And that number must be printed in their foreheads. Huh, I wonder where he got that from. Because I believe the Bible said that there will be a name in our foreheads when we get to heaven. A name that no man knows. Whew. The devil is an imitator. But the number is 666, which the Bible says is the number of man. And the reason it is the number of man, because man was created on the sixth day of creation. And all throughout scripture, six represents humanity. And so here we have Satan the father who is the dragon, six. We have the next six representing the beast, the Antichrist, as the son. And then we have the last six as the false prophet, the picture of the Holy Spirit. It is six, six, six in three persons. This means that this is sin at its fullest. This is sickness at its fullest. This is wickedness worse than the world has ever seen. No man has ever witnessed what they're about to witness during this time. Because sin is at its greatest, it is at its fullest. And the devil is about to have a heyday with planet earth. And he is unleashed in three persons. But folks, there is a number given, 666. And oh, what a great plan that he has. What a great plan to try to capture planet earth, to try to turn them against a holy and righteous God. But this is not his plan. This is God's plan. And God's plan is better. And God's plan is perfect. I don't look to the dragon. I don't look to the beast. And I don't look to the false prophet. I look to God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. While the devil may have 666, God has 777. Seven is the number of perfection and completion. May I tell you that 666 is one number lower than 777 as high as the devil wants to be. And sin in its fullest still falls short of the glory and the greatness and the power of an almighty God. He may have a number, but he doesn't have the best number because the best number is given to God. God, seven, he is complete, he is perfect. God the Son, he is complete, he is perfect. God the Holy Spirit is complete and he's perfect. And you put all three of them together. It's like Isaiah said, holy, holy, holy. When he heard the seraphims, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, which is and which was and is to come. God's not just holy as the Father, but he's holy as the Son. And he's holy as the Holy Spirit. And all the greatness and the power of God, or, or excuse me, the power of Satan will never reach the level of the power of God because 666 will always be lower. And I'm just from Louisiana. <laughs> and I know six is less and least of seven. Seven is higher. Yes, he will have a whole lot of power 
And it will be in its fullest form at this time. But bless God. There's a God that's going to be higher. There's a son that's going to be higher. There's a spirit that's going to be higher. Holy, holy, holy. I'm so sick of sin. I'm so sick of what it's doing to our world. But I'm glad, Brother Lane, of 777. I'm glad that ain't all we have. I'm glad there's one higher. I'm glad there's one holier. I'm glad there's one with a better plan and a true salvation and a real security and a living hope, not a dead hope. What an imitator. I'm about to burn up up here. It's not because I got coronas, because I'm preaching. I want you to look in Revelation 17. Not only does he imitate the person of God, but he imitates the Lord's church. Y'all mind if we just have fun this morning? Man, I tell you, I'm enjoying preaching. The word is so powerful, so comforting. The day and hour in which we live, we need his word every day. We need his comfort. Revelation 17 is a picture of world religion. It is a picture of false religion. It is called the mother of Babylon. Babylon is wickedness. It is sinfulness. The mother of Babylon works in and through religion. Revelation 17 verse 1, There came one of the seven angels, which had the seven vials, and talked with me, saying unto me, Come up hither, I will show unto thee the judgment of the great whore that sitteth upon many waters. Now look over in verse 15. And he saith unto me, The waters which thou sawest where the whore sitteth are peoples, multitudes, nations, and tongues. The first thing about Satan's church, it is, it, it is a counterfeit church. It's not real. It's not a real church. It may look like it. It may sound like it. But you keep searching the search, uh, the church of Satan and the false religion, and you will see that it is counterfeit. The word many waters here comes from that Greek word katholikos, which is where we get our English word Catholic from. And Catholic in English means universal. It means this big universal church in the air that is coming together and they don't care what anybody believes. They don't care what anybody thinks because we all need to get along and we all need to join hands together and we need to come together, quote unquote, in the name of Jesus. But may I say his name's not mentioned very much in this counterfeit church because he's not an exalted one in this counterfeit church. But upon many waters... Everywhere we look, we see this universalism. We see this thought of pushing everybody together. Well, you think you're better because you're a Baptist. I don't think that at all. And I don't separate myself because I'm a Baptist. I separate myself into the Scripture that we find in the Word of God. This here alone is truth. There's probably a lot of Baptists that are heretics. There may be some Baptist churches that are counterfeit. 
Folks, it don't matter what you have on the sign. It's what's being taught inside the doors. And that's what makes a true church a living church. And that's what sets apart the counterfeit church. Not only is it counterfeit, but it's seductive. Look in verse 2. With whom the kings of the earth have committed fornication, the inhabitants of the earth have, made, have been made drunk with the wine of her fornications. It is a seducing church. It is a seductive church. It uh, desires to reach them at their flesh. It is seducing. True churches are not supposed to touch us in our flesh or reach us to our low points, but it should reach us in our spirit. The church should not ever lead us away from the Word of God and away from righteousness and holiness. A true church will never do that. A true church will always lead us to righteousness. Notice it's a blasphemous church. Verse 3, And he carried me away in the spirit of the wilderness, and I saw a woman sit upon a scarlet-colored beast, full of names of blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns. The reality of a false church, a counterfeit church, is their teachings are blasphemy. They are against the Word of God. And those that stand against the Word of God stand against God. May I tell you, when the end comes, if you're not with this, you're not with Him. If you don't stand for this, you don't stand for Him. The false church, the counterfeit church, is a church that teaches blasphemy, that does not really have a true, genuine love for Jesus Christ. And it begins to spew heresies and false doctrines about who God is. Notice verse 4. And the woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet color and decked with gold and precious stones and pearl, having a golden cup in her hand. It's a wealthy church. It's got all the pretty stuff. Millions of dollars worth of stuff. Look at us. Look how pretty this is. You see, the false church, the counterfeit church, <clears throat> the false religion, the mother of Babylon, is a church that is hung up more on their possessions than they are their God. Right. It is a church that is out to impress by putting out the gold and the silver and all of the things to entice the mind and the flesh of man. Folks, we're not here to entice the mind and flesh of man. We're not a bar. We're not a casino. Right. Y'all didn't hear me, did you? We're to entice the spirit of man. Amen. Who cares about how much money we have? When the rapture takes place, we're all broke. Worldly standards. Heavenly standards. I got a new body. I got a new house. Whoo, I got a new song. Brother Paul, I will sound so pretty up there. Man, I will sing on the top of my lungs. Wealthy church, our wealth's in heaven, folks. It's an immoral church. The golden cup in her hand full of abominations and filthiness of her fornication. It is immoral. May I tell you, for Christians, it is immoral to be, to be drunkards. It is immoral to live like the world. It is immoral to live in an adulterous situation. It is immoral. 
The church should never agree with it. It should never accept it. It should never accept same-sex marriage. It should never accept a pastor in his pulpit that is a homosexual. That has always been against God's word and it always will be. If I stand up here and I claim to be a homosexual and you don't run me off, we're no different than this church right here. Immoral, immoral, immoral. Look, verse 5. I'm almost done. Hang with me. And upon her forehead was a name written, Mystery, Babylon the Great, and Abominations of the Earth. It is a pagan church. Pagan. I went and made it to Mexico this week into the biggest Catholic church you've ever seen in your life. And you walk into this church and all along the wall is statue after statue after statue after statue of every apostle, the mother of every apostle. All of these things that are lined up around here. There was people at every statue praying. There was people at every statue down on their knees. There was one statue in that place which it would be wrong, but there was one statue in that place that they did not kneel at, and that was the statue of Jesus. Peter, the statue of Peter had been there 300 years. So many people has kissed its feet, his feet, the statue, that it started withering away because that's how many people worship those apostles and all of those things. We worship but one Savior. We preach but one salvation. And it's Jesus and Jesus alone. Look in verse 6. I saw the woman drunken with the blood of saints and with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. When I saw her, I wondered with great admiration. It is a persecuting church. Notice I didn't say persecuted. I said persecuting. Ones who hate true, genuine Christians. This is Satan's church. I see it in the midst of our communities. This isn't just overseas somewhere. It's right here in America. And it's stronger than it's ever been. But may I tell you why his trinity is not as high as God's trinity. His church is not as high as God's church. And there's a power within his church. His church is real. His church will stand the test of times. May I tell you, the church of Jesus Christ was bought by the blood of Jesus. May I tell you that we're here till he calls us home. Every religion known to man has come and gone, but the teachings of Jesus Christ is still here. It still works. It's still powerful. It still saves souls. It still changes lives. It still heals a marriage. It's still the answer to drugs and alcohol and addiction. Bless God, this is the best story ever told. If I ever quit preaching it, run me out of here. Because there's not but one Jesus. There's not but one Father. There's not but one Holy Ghost. And it's the Holy Ghost of God, the Son of God, the Father of God. And bless God, there's a higher number than 666. And it's 777. God the Father is perfect. God the Son is perfect. And God the Holy Spirit is perfect. I rest in Him and Him alone. Let's stand this morning. Let's stand this morning. As we've gone through these things, boys, the devil working hard today. As we see his devices, he's working harder than he's ever worked. 
our president has called us to a day of prayer. What do you do with this false church? What do you do with all this mess that we're going through? We go to him in prayer. The greatest weapon that we have is that we can fall on our face at these altars and cry and call upon a holy God. God, we need you. God, protect us. Folks, I'm not a germaphobe, really. But this thing is kind of scary. I think it's been blown out of proportion. But at the end of the day, we need the protective hand of God. God can put a hedge over us that no virus or no devil can penetrate. That's what we need over our country right now. That's what our president needs over him right now. That's what our homes need over them right now. That's what our kids need right now. Amen. The Lord said, Devil, have you considered Job? The devil said, Lord, I can't get to him if I wanted to because you've put such a hedge about him that I can't get to him. We needed such a hedge about us and about our country and about our families and our church that no virus, no cancer, no devil can penetrate. I still believe in the power of prayer.